Good evening and welcome to this Friday's edition of Stockwatch. I'm Zinati Guma. Joining me to wrap this week up are Willem Oldervacher from Nitrogen Fund Managers and independent analyst Chris Gilmore. Thank you so much to the both of you for joining us. Let's start off with, uh, I, I would think is the biggest news of the week, um, is the resignation of Boris Johnson from uh, being the UK's Prime Minister. Chris, since you are in uh, a close proximity to Downing Street, what are some of the interesting um, things that have come out of, of those political developments? Um, Zanati, I think, you know, this is, this has only been, a, it's only been a question of time as to when he was going to go. Uh, and this is going back quite a few weeks now. There was a vote of not a vote of confidence and he, he, he survived it, but not, not, not particularly uh, well. Um, I mean, Theresa May, his immediate predecessor, um, yeah. Did, did better in her vote of no confidence um, some years ago. So I think it was always on the cards. And I think what's happened with Johnson is that um, people have seen through him uh, over the past few years. The man has got absolutely no principles whatsoever. He's a confirmed liar. He's a, he's a cheat. He's a thief. You know, he, he, he's, a, he's a disgrace. And I think, I think across the board, across the political spectrum, they're tired of having this joker, this clown mm. in, in charge. And... You know, you hear stories about, well, he got Brexit done. Well, for goodness sake, that was his job. Um, you know, get, getting rewarded for doing your job is, is, has become so commonplace in, uh, everywhere these days. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really, I think, um, y you know, he's, he, he's, got a, he's, he's probably going to, I would imagine, after the next general election, he'll probably leave politics and go back into to writing. Although I'm not sure who will employ him because he... He makes things up, you know. He, he um, he's he's been fired mm. from more than one organisation for making up quotes. Mm. You know, he, he he's just a joke. He's a disaster. Yeah. Um, and it hopefully this brings to an end, you know, a, a, a pretty sad time in British politics. The only problem you've got now is who on earth is going to replace him because the Conservative Party is full of. He, he surrounded himself with some pretty non-capable people. I mean, Rishi Sunak was probably the best of a bad bunch. And he, I think, has unfortunately um, cooked his goose with his wife's non-DOM status and uh, applying for um, a, a green card in the US a, a while ago. So I think he's, he's probably ruled himself out, to, to, to be honest. So yeah. it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. But I, I think the Tories will probably find themselves out in the cold in the next election, which has to happen by 2024. Mm. Willem, how are you looking at uh, Boris's resignation? I mean, especially when it comes to maybe uh, any, any policy shifts that uh, could come out of this, any economic policy shifts, uh, considering that also the UK is dealing with a cost of living crisis. Yes, so I think um, Chris summed it up very well. I think the, <clears throat> the change might rather be uh, from Tory to Labour in the next election. So I don't think there'll be too many policy shifts on based from his uh, new candidate. But I think um, just to add um, the fact that he, he lost his vote of no confidence at a, like Chris said, at a worse sort of percentage than Theresa May did. And subsequently enough of his own party has sort of signed the resignations to mean that if he were to, to, to go to, into another vote of no, no confidence, he would lose fully outright. So it was, it was on the cards. And I think the sort of press and the media for the last three months have been sort of edging him on and now I think the the commentary afterwards has been absolutely scathing and I think uh, rightly so he he really did mess it up. Mm. 
All right, let's go into the U.S. where we had the Fed minutes released on a Wednesday night. Uh, Chris, from your side, I mean, uh, the Fed really did reiterate their commitment to taming inflation uh, with, you know, tightening monetary policy, even at the risk of uh, a slower economic growth. What were some of the sticking points for you in those minutes? Well, I think it's it's interesting. You know, I, I think um, Jerome Powell and his, his cohorts and, and in the Fed um, are probably going to take it um, easier than, than we originally thought. Because, you know, if they were to apply the same kind of um, approach that Paul Falker did back in the 1980s, you'd kill the economy stone dead. And I don't think they have the political will to, to, to do this type of thing. So I think we're, we're going to see uh, a more of a softly, softly approach here. They're hoping, I think, that the 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 inflation rate is naturally going to start coming off a bit. I mean, from 8.6, there are a few um, reasons why one should be hopeful that it will come off a little bit naturally, um, and that the the increasing um, uh, interest rates will ultimately get on on top of that. But I don't see it. I mean, I can't think of a, a time in history when you've had a situation where interest rates have not been higher than the rate of inflation, and you've still managed to contain inflation. So to answer your question, I think it's, it's going to be increasingly difficult. And I think markets are assuming that uh, Powell and the Fed are going to get on top of this pretty quickly, and that we're, we're going to get a return to, quotes, normality. I don't think we are. I think, I think this is going to take a lot longer, and I think rates are going to have to go up a lot higher than most people imagine. And that's the thing, because now there are increasing debates as to whether um, the Fed uh, increasing interest rates is actually the right or best solution to term inflation. That's, I mean, largely from the supply uh, shocks. Willem, uh, on your side, I mean, uh, did you think that the Fed in those minutes came out maybe less hawkish than uh, originally anticipated? Yes, I think the Fed has sort of learned to really phrase themselves well in advance and with a lot of sort of room for interpretation after the taper tantrum a few years ago. So I think they sort of, they really use moral suasion and they sort of guide three months ahead of time what they plan on doing and reiterate that two or three times in that period to make sure there's no shock to the market. So I don't think this is too, this was too sort of different from anything else we've seen from them. And I think the, the stance is still there. Their, their mandate says that they should sort of maintain price stability. And if it's necessary, if inflation doesn't sort of normalize without the action, I think they will step in and raise rates accordingly. Mm. All right, let's go into uh, some of the questions that we've gotten. Uh, so there's a question here on uh, CPI, that is uh, the ticker for Capitec, buy or not? Um, I know that uh, a lot of the time Capitec is seen as a sell because it's quite expensive. I see that it actually has been on a downward trend recently. Uh, Chris, where, what's your take on, on buying Capitec at this point, especially considering that there are other banks that are considered cheaper? Look, I mean, the other banks, I mean, are markedly cheaper, <laughs> make yeah. no mistake. But none of them, with, with, without any exception, none of them have got the kind of growth potential that Capitex got. Capitex has been a disruptor. Um, you know, it's a challenger bank. It's, it's, it's doing all the right things. And it's, it's no different to the kind of um, challenger banks in the US and the UK and Europe um, that are, have been having a field day for the past um, few years. And that is largely because the the um how can i put it the traditional banks have um relied on their kind of legacy systems and the legacy way of doing things and frankly it doesn't work anymore 
Um, whereas Capitec has taken a far more enlightened approach to, to lending, to transacting, you name it. Um, so, yes, it's expensive, but it's one of these shares. You know, I remember years ago people saying, no, no, it's expensive. And it's just become, yeah. it's become more expensive. Yeah. So, look, there are other pretenders in the, in, in the field. I mean, notably, Time Bank is not listed, obviously, as part of ARCI. Um, but there, there, are, there are a lot of uh, other pretenders out there that some t- someday, I think, will get to, to, to the similar sort of levels that, that Capitec at now. But Capitec is still way ahead of the pack. Hmm. Um, Willem, I mean, is this one where you think that it's too expensive, don't go in now, maybe wait for a better entry point? Or is the, the growth story of the business um, so encouraging that, you know what, you can go in now, just bite the bullet because you know what you're going to get? I think, I think the future has changed and it's not similar to the past. I think when Capitec started, there was a whole unbanked segment in South Africa, maybe 10 million people. And I think they've taken up most of that. So I can't see that growth sort of continuing in the same fashion going forward. And then, um, as Chris sort of mentioned, there are, there are lots of new entrants. I mean, even though there are barriers to entry, I think other people have noticed the high growth rates and the high returns on sort of invested capital and things like Discovery Bank and Time Bank are popping up and they're sort of trying to sort of take some of that market share. So I think what's also happening is Capitec is still part of sort of South African economy and people are sort of tapering their expectations and therefore tapering their growth estimation. And then suddenly if you sort of trade at that sort of a multiple and um, your growth isn't as, as as much as you expected, it's very hard to justify why anybody would be paying that sort of multiple, which I think is why the share price is starting to sort of falter a little bit. Yeah. So every share has a, a buy and a sell price, but I think from here, I think there is still downside before I think it's really interesting as a, as a long-term investment. Yeah, it's just sticking with you, Willem. I mean, uh, looking at APSA, because they're also really trying to be aggressive in, in you know, really uh, expanding their presence in that retail market. I mean, the fact that they've uh, hired a CEO that was the head uh, of the retail banking sector, and now they've got the shakeup in the structure. I mean, do you think that they have more upside in, in that space? Yes, I do like ABSA, especially now that uh, the Barclays sale has gone through. So I think that also plays sort of a big overhang on the share price. So I think it sort of might have overreacted and it has lagged the rest of the South African bank. So I think at this current price point, I would prefer ABSA over Capitec, yes. All right. Uh, there's a question here on uh, capital appreciation asking for the panel's uh, thoughts on capital appreciation. Um, Chris? Look, it's, it's a very highly entrepreneurial little company. It was a SPAC a few years ago, and it's, um, it, it's actually done really very, very well indeed. Um, I, I, I unfortunately, I haven't really uh, kept up with it, so I can't really give you any sort of detailed view on it. But I think, um, you know, the, the, as, as a kind of adjunct to the, 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 the whole financial services industry in South Africa, uh, it's, 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 it's going to be a phenomenal success. I love it. It's a great little company. Okay, so bullish on capital appreciation. Uh, Willem, uh, do, you like, do you look at the growth story of uh, capital appreciation? Yeah, so I know they're a sort of a fintech player, and I think they've got a few activist investors who might sort of help with their cost management, maybe just some sort of other decisions in their, um, their sort of day-to-day operations that are, that are quite nice if you're an investor and you're piggybacking off of somebody, you know, who's going to do all the work and you see some of the returns. I do think it's sort of a – and it should be fairly defensive, just the – the nature of what they do is sort of a, an add-on to, to other companies and they can probably just sort of maintain 
their, their current contracts without sort of too much exposure to the South African economy or to banking in general. Let's get into some more questions. So we have one on uh, Hulamin. Uh, what is going on with Hulamin? And uh, when I actually look at that chart, um, it's been on a downward trend lately. Um, Willem, do you think it all has to do with that deal that, 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 um, that fell through? Yes, I'm pretty sure that's it. I think people were speculating on a cautionary that um, there would be a firm offer and that hasn't come. And now, I mean, there's no other reason they bought it, so they have to sell it and there's no liquidity. So I think it's a purely technical thing and, um, yeah, yeah, it's probably a fair price. I mean, uh, what are you, uh, how are you looking at Hulamin right now, um, uh, Chris, now that uh, that takeover deal has kind of crumbled? Um, of course, as a lot of people are citing the market, the current market conditions, I mean, um, would you get in and wait for maybe market conditions to kind of stabilize for maybe another takeover offer to come through? Or do you believe in the business just as is at the moment? Well, look, I think it's, it's a tough one because, you know, that whole aluminium uh, forming market is, is, is a very, very tough market at this point in time. Um, you know, in, in a, with, with kind of global recessionary conditions staring in the face. Um, no, look, I, I haven't looked at Huleman uh, closely for a while now. I, got, I lost a bit of interest in it um, a few years ago. It's, um, uh, it, it remains, I think, a well-managed company. But, yeah, it's, you know, there, I think there are just too many negatives at this point in time. Uh, to get awfully enthusiastic about it, other than uh, if a deal uh, did come along the table. Mm. All right. Um, another company, uh, Nampak, um, it came out this week saying that it has had an extension for its uh, debt reduction rate. And we saw that uh, share price uh, really skyrocketing. Um, Willem, was that good news for you? Yes, so I started looking, or I just had a look at NAMPAC maybe three months ago. Yeah. And then I thought the only problem was the debt. So, I mean, the fact that they can extend it, I still think they need to do something about it. Yeah. Either the earnings need to increase so they could pay it off, or they will have to do a rights issue. So, I don't think we're out of the woods, but at least it sort of pushes the, the deadline out, which helps yeah. greatly. But, um, yes, I'd still wait for them to sort of confirm that they won't need a rights issue before I, I buy the stock. Yeah, and that's the thing because they also do depend on the economy. Of course, now our working capital requirements have, have gone up. So, I mean, would this be um, a, a good one to hold at, at this point uh, in, in the short to medium term, Chris? As you say, packaging companies generally do tend to follow the economic cycle. And at this point in time, the economic cycle is really not looking good. Uh, and okay, they tried to iron it out a bit a few years ago by moving into the rest of Africa, but that's not, that hasn't really uh, changed the dynamic at all. Um, so, yeah, look, um, I, I take uh, Willem's point, um, and this is not a particularly good time to be looking at, at doing a rights issue either. Hmm. So um, I, I think you leave this one alone for the time being. But, I mean, does it not encourage you that, I mean... Considering that they uh, expect more upside and they, these growth opportunities, does it not make you maybe feel better that even if they do go for a rights issue, it won't be more for debt? It would maybe be more for, uh, you know, just operations of the business, Chris? No, f fair enough. But uh, as I say, I think the, the, the market, sorry, the, the economy is going to be against them. You know, as I said, right at the very beginning. I think packaging companies have got this very close correlation with the, the economic cycle. Mm. And the, the, the economy is looking so short at this point in time. And I think that's going to be a feature for quite some time to come.
Yeah, all right. I take your point there. Um, there's another question here. Is Motus still worth holding? Um, Willem? Yes, um, they are. It's a bit of a difficult one. They are exposed to South Africa, but their performance is absolutely incredible. So I think, um, unfortunately, sort of, there are buyers and sellers sort of meeting them, each other at this point. But from the uh, Investor Day and the results presentations, I think the future is good. I mean, a lot of the income comes from what's known as the car park. So cars they sold that need to be serviced through motors dealerships. Yeah. And I think that that doesn't change regardless of sort of economic activity. And of course, then in the, uh, the second hand space is very, very profitable right now. And I think they are profiting from that. And um, I think, yes, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly well priced. They're doing buybacks and they're paying a dividend. So that's, yes, that's a very nice stuff to have in your portfolio. But I mean, you have uh, interest rates going up and you have inflation also going up. Um, and although even, for example, because also they are exposed to new vehicle sales, we are still seeing uh, some good demand there. But NAMSA was actually warning that, you know what, it might not last for very long. Uh, Chris, how are you thinking then of, you know, just the kind of headwinds that they could face? I always get motors wrong and CMH, you know, because <laughs> I, I, I look at these and I think, oh, no, please, they, mu they must be taking so much strain. And yet, as Willem says, you know, they're, they're, they're actually doing incredibly well. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think it's, it, it comes back to the second, uh, the, uh, sorry, they don't call it secondhand anymore, pre-owned market. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's been particularly buoyant all around the world. And that, I think, will remain a feature uh, for, for quite some time to come. So, yeah, look, it's, it does remain a, a wonderfully managed company. And, um, yeah, look, um, uh, I'm the wrong person to talk about this one because I, I, I get in, in innately negative about anything to do with, with cars at this point in the economy. Yeah. And yet I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm usually completely wrong. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a contrarian <laughs> indicator. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk MediClinic. Um, Remgro and MSC Shipping have come out with a sweeter offer. This is like the fourth offer uh, on the table. Um, Willem, does it look like a good one? Yes, I think it does for two reasons. Firstly, MediClinic's board refused the first three and they uh, <laughs> accepted or were prepared to sort of post the fourth one. So I think that the haggling has been done uh, sort of on Shelter's behalf. And then um, hospital groups have been difficult to invest in post-COVID. You know, it was always like, are they going to get their numbers up, sort of their sort of useful, uh, the sort of patient, inpatient days or patient rates or whatever you call it. Yeah. And um, MediClinic's performed incredibly well. And there's an offer with, a, I don't know, I think of maybe a 5% upside from yesterday. So, um, yes, I think it's quite a good offer. And I think slowly but surely the, the cogs will turn and it'll turn into sort of a, a scheme of arrangement and it will probably take place. Yeah, quite interesting. I mean, Chris, um, do you, are you interested in any way in uh, the hospital groups? I mean, uh, what do you think of MediClinic possibly getting off the JSE? Yeah, look, it, it, I've always taken the view that MediClinic was the best, uh, you know, the, the, the best run of all of the, 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 um, the, the, the big hospital groups. Um, and it would be a shame if it was no longer listed. Yeah. Um, but having said that, as Willem says, you know, it's, um, they have been difficult to invest in. And if for no other reason than you have the specter of NHI hanging over their heads. Okay. Uh, you know, what on earth happens? Because nobody actually really knows what is going to happen with this. Um, so look, um, yeah, look, it, 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 it's, it's, it, there's a lot of, um, moving parts to this dynamic. 
and it's it's not a, it's not a straightforward one yeah all right we have a question here on a purple group uh what are the panel's thoughts on purple group should i buy more or sell panicking um Willem, should uh, the viewer be panicking with purple group i think you should be panicking but i don't think you should sell because you're panicking <laughs> <laughs> so um i don't think the 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 business economics are as good as they were and i think we've had this question before but i think ultimately it comes down to easy equities and retail trading volumes and i think as the economy becomes more and more sort of slows down and and compressed i think speculative sort of excess is going to produce and people are going to trade less, you know, in their sort of personal accounts on easy equities. So ultimately, I don't think the, the future is great, but um, I'd, I'd sort of choose an exit point and wait for that price to sell. I wouldn't sell sort of just because I, I see the share price going down, if that makes sense. Um, so I guess if you're bullish on a purple group, then it, it has to be coming from your confidence of easy equities. Uh, Chris, on your side, how are you um, viewing easy equities right now? Yeah, it's been a phenomenal success story in, in terms of the, the, the retail investor, easy equities over the past few years. And, um, uh, you know, the retail investor, the small investor, has to understand that they've got to take the, the, the bad with the good. Mm. Um, and uh, the conditions uh, are not conducive to having a good equity market at this point in time. Yeah. Locally, the, the market's going nowhere slowly. Um, globally, the S&P 500 is flirting with, uh, with bear market territory. The Nasdaq's deeply in bear market territory. So I think it's, we, we, right at the very beginning, we discussed the jury's out of where interest rates are going to go. Yeah. So I think putting all that together, it's going to, it's going to be a, a tough uh, background for the likes of the, the retail investor to actually do well. They're going to have to trade significantly, and that increases the risk um, of, of doing anything. So... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be tough for, for them for a while. But, yeah. you know, nobody rings a, a bell at the bottom of a bear market. Yeah. Let's go into a company that's considered a kind of a proxy to the SA economy, and that is Bidvest. So they want to increase their international presence. Uh, so yesterday they announced a new acquisition, an Australian cleaning business, BIC Services, for 1.8 billion rand. Um, Willem, is this the, the, the right business right price for the right business sorry just say the business name again B i think you broke up just as you said bic services that australian cleaning uh services business but but what south african company oh yes bidvest 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 yeah. okay perfect yes so they are a south african proxy yeah. um yeah it's interesting they they keep on expanding they keep on making acquisitions globally apart from the come sort of stint which they have gotten rid of before the sort of yeah. issues really started i think that they've got a decent track record mm. so um yeah maybe not even like no longer an sa proxy just a good run industrial sort of jc listed uh, stock and long term yeah. long to medium term probably a good investment yeah all right let's get into your stock picks uh for tonight chris where will you be hanging your hat today well we touched on it earlier zanotti um I'm going back with an old favorite of mine, ABSA. And, um, you know, recently they appointed a guy called Ari Rautenbach to um, take over as CEO. I mean, it took an awful long time to, to make up their mind to put him in there. But uh, at long last, they did the right thing, in my opinion. And mm. he, I think he, he is going to be instrumental in clawing back some big market share for ABSA. Um, as Willem said earlier, you know, with reference to this whole thing, um, and I was at ABSA at the time. 
Uh, the Barclays days were dark, dark days. I mean, mm -hmm. that was bad. And they got rid of that. So now, you know, they've, 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 they, I think they can fly on Dari. Mm. So um, uh, it's going to take a little bit of time before the market realizes what a potent individual they have in this guy. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and he's already played his first hand uh, with the restructuring. So very interesting uh, to see how uh, that will unfold. Uh, Willem, on your side, your stock pick? I'm going to pick PSG uh, Group just because I think uh, right now you don't really want to be in equities, but if you need to sort of play with stocks, I think, or invest in stocks, um, there's a cash underpin along with a deep discount to the, the holdings, and that should come through next month. So I think that's an easy sort of 10% spread sort of waiting to be um, realized, and you don't need sort of anything specific to happen. It just needs to, to go as planned. So um, I'm not bullish on equities, but I think PSG is an easy equity to buy right now. Mm, not easy equities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. Uh, that's it for Stockwatch this week. Uh, thanks to my guest, Willem Oldebacher from Nitrogen Fund Manager, uh, Managers and Independent Analyst, Chris Gilmore. From Izanati Kuma and the rest of the team, have a great weekend.